What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Blazers are 2-1. and one. They won their first two road games of the season. They beat the Kings on Friday night, came back and held off the Dallas Mavericks to win on Sunday evening. Next up is the San Antonio Spurs, but before we get there, there's plenty of news to cover. The news of the day coming out of Portland is that Zach Collins dislocated his left shoulder against the Mavericks. We're going to start there, talk all about what that injury means, how the Blazers might address it, and what we know about his injury as of now. Also want to talk about the Blazers' defense, what we've seen through three games, any trends, any any positives, any troubling things. I want to close up in the third segment talking about the Blazers' crunch time lineup. Everything starts with Zach Collins, though. The Blazers' defense and what how they'll defend without him is a, is a huge question mark. Who they play down the stretch without him healthy is a huge question mark. So let's just start with talking about his injury. Collins played pretty well on Sunday night. He had 10 points, 3 boards, and he was pushing towards another 30-minute night. He was going to play a lot. But the injury happened with about two minutes left in the third quarter. Uh, A shot went up from the outside, and Zach crashed down to get a defensive rebound, and he kind of put his left hand on Luka Doncic's shoulder. And as they both went up for the rebound, Zach immediately grimaced. He uh, grabbed for his left shoulder right away, moved towards the bench right away, knew he had dislocated it, immediately left the court with uh, Jeff Clark, the Blazers' head trainer. They went right back to the locker room. Later after the game, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Collins is going to have an MRI tomorrow to determine the severity of his injury, which means that he'll, he's already on the team plane. They've already, by the time I'm recording this, they've probably already landed in San Antonio, but fly to San Antonio with the team. And then tomorrow morning, they'll get the MRI and figure out the severity of the injury and, and determine a timetable. Whether they share that timetable publicly, we'll see. He's already been ruled out for Monday, obviously. Seems like he's not going to play the rest of this trip, which concludes against Oklahoma City. But tomorrow, maybe by the time you listen to this, if you listen to it late in the afternoon. That's why you always listen to Lockdown Blazers first, guys. That's going to be your first podcast. But they'll determine the severity of, of the injury tomorrow and figure out when Zach could be available. For what it's worth, Collins told reporters in Dallas after the game that the training staff was able to cleanly pop the shoulder back in and that he was that made him relatively optimistic that it wasn't too bad of a dislocation. I'm not a doctor, but I did read an article by someone who is a doctor. Jeff Stotts, who runs the website In Street Clothes, the best basketball injury website on the net, wrote an article in 2015 uh, about uh, Kevin Love dislocating his shoulder, basically saying that the severity of the dislocation determines the length of time that that guys will be out. Some guys miss no games. They pop it back in. They're ready to go. They play through the pain. Things look good. Things look clean. Collins is definitely going to miss Monday. So let's put it at one. He's, He's one plus. But the severity of injuries is also, the severity of the, separation or the dislocation can also cause guys to miss a bunch of time up up to almost 60 games so right now that mri is what we're waiting on to determine collins's availability if the blazers say he'll be reevaluated in 10 days it's probably on the bad end if they give him a much shorter timeline or a more specific timeline it's obviously on the good end 
But you can check that out. Just Google in street clothes, dislocated shoulder. You can read an article by a doctor too. That's not what I am. I am a basketball analyst of sorts though. So let's talk about what this actually means for the Blazers. It means that the Blazers already short big man rotation just got a lot shorter. When Hassan Whiteside fouled out of the game against Dallas, Blazers won this game by two. I'm not giving you recaps of this game. You don't come here for recaps. Watch the game. Read the box score. Blazers won the game by two, but uh, Hassan Whiteside fouled out with like two minutes left in the game. And Terry Stotts did not go to Scalabissier, basically the only big man left on his bench. He did not go to Anthony Tolliver, uh, the only power forward really on the roster. He went to Mario Hazonia. Blazers went small. They went small against seven foot three Chris Tapps Porzingis. So I think one thing that this means is that we're going to see a lot more small lineups. I want to talk about this in the third segment when I talk about the Blazers crunch time group, even more specifically, but the Blazers already were really short at power forward, really short up front with Pau Gasol injured. With Pau Gasol injured, it's basically just Hassan Whiteside, Anthony Tolliver, Zach Collins, Scalabissier. They've got four true bigs. Stotts has been somewhat reluctant to play Scal, giving him spot minutes over the first three games. And while he has turned to Tolliver often and early in games, Tolliver has been terrible and rarely has gotten back on the floor for long shifts in the second half. Stotts really likes Anthony Tolliver. That's why on this podcast you heard me say that there was even a chance that Tolliver earned the starting nod at some point in the season if uh, they were going to turn Zach into the backup center. I don't think they, the Blazers really considered that, but it was definitely an idea that maybe they floated it around when they realized that Pau Gasol wasn't going to be healthy. But Tolliver, the, what he theoretically provides as a shooter and floor spacer and heady veteran player, just hasn't shown up. He's had some real zeros, like a lot of nights where he had a night like he did against Dallas, where he played three minutes, committed a turnover, and was minus 15 in three minutes. They were outscored in his by 15 points in his three minutes. He's had a couple of those duds early in the season, so I think losing Collins is a big deal because of how bad Tolliver has been. He's not going to drop out of the rotation entirely, but just yet, just because of the way the roster is constructed, but I think the Blazers play small a bunch more. I think Rodney Hood plays a lot of power forward. I think Mario Hazonia plays a lot of power forward. And I think the Blazers see how much they can stretch Scalabus here. They're not going to run up Whiteside's minutes more than he's already playing. He was set to play about 30 minutes tonight. I think that's probably where he ends up. Is about the 30 minute mark. So we're talking about two things basically in regards to Zach Collins. Who starts a power forward and who eats up the other 18 minutes at center. So the other 18 minutes at center, I imagine, will be divvied up a little bit between Tolliver, Scalabissier, and some super small ball lineups, maybe with Mario Zonia. We might not see that right away because the Blazers play against the Spurs, who generally stay pretty big throughout the game, and then OKC, who has Steven Adams and Nerlens Noel. But I think the Blazers are still going to play a bunch of minutes when they can and steal some minutes with, with tiny lineups in there with Hazonia or Tolliver at center. But who starts a power forward? Generally speaking, Stotts in these situations when guys have gotten injured has reached deep, deep, deep into the bench and pulled 
someone from completely out of the rotation to play them 12 minutes a night, uh, what I call the Victor Claver Memorial role, where Victor Claver basically didn't play for the first 40 games of his career, and then when he was part of the rotation, he was starting at small forward. He's done it with Alan Crabb. He's did it with Jake Lehman a little bit. Uh, so generally, that's what Stotts does. But I don't think the Blazers have that luxury this time because of the health of the roster. You know, you're carrying Yusuf Nurkic, who's not healthy. You're carrying Pau Gasol, who's not healthy. Now Zach Collins isn't healthy. There just isn't sort of that end-of-the-bench guy. I don't think Gary Trent Jr. and Nazir Little makes this uh, surprise jump. So I think it'll be pretty straightforward. I think they'll start Tolliver at four, if I had to guess, and play him really limited minutes, two six-minute shifts to start each half. Give him 12 minutes, try to survive those minutes, and put Tolliver on the court with that crew. That's my best guess. We'll see tomorrow. But Collins' injury is a big deal regardless. He was the Blazers' best big man defender, and defense has been a big issue with this team. Even in the early going, they've showed some problems on that end. And that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. What's going on with the Blazers' defense? What have we seen through three games? Where can they clean stuff up? And how do they possibly do that without Zach Collins for a couple games? But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. So we covered Collins' injury and what it might mean. Now I want to zoom out a little bit more and talk about what we've seen from Blazers' defense through the first three games of the year. First of all, the Blazers' defense hasn't been very good. Let's just get that out there up front. Let's go ahead and, and call it what it is. But it's too early for the sort of stats to really mean anything, but I'm still going to give them to you anyways because I kind of think um, they don't necessarily jive with my eye test of this team. I think that that this group has been getting absolutely slaughtered from deep, just giving up a ton of open threes. This is anecdotally. I think that they've struggled not necessarily in transition guarding threes, although they've had a little bit of trouble just sort of matching up and finding guys in transition, but mostly just on weird switches or scrambles where they'll switch something on the perimeter and then someone will get beat off the dribble and then two guys will go to help and then another person will get caught in between a rotation to the corner, a rotation to the top. Now they're in a scramble and then the Blazers are all of a sudden giving up a wide open practice level three-pointer. That's just anecdotally what I what I felt like I've seen. Uh, I thought it was a big deal against Denver in the opener, particularly Biggs. I talked about this bunch in the last podcast, but Hassan Whiteside struggling a little bit to get out on Nikola Jokic on the two biggest three-pointers of the game. He just wasn't close enough to him, and Jokic stepped into two open threes, cashed him. Early on against uh, Sacramento, the Blazers won on Friday night against the Kings. Kings look really bad. But the Blazers were struggling early because they just kept giving up open threes to the wrong guys. Bogdanovich got some threes, got loose for a couple threes. He hit four. De'Aaron Fox, not necessarily a, a knockdown shooter, but two of the threes he made were nobody near him, practice level three-pointers. Buddy Heald took a couple tough ones, but also two of them he drilled. He just was open. He was four of 11 from deep. 
And then against Dallas early, I don't think the Blazers' defense was... I, I thought it picked up in the second half. Dallas also just missed some shots in the second half. But early on, they were just they were having the same problem, just getting caught, scrambling, caught in rotations, caught just the, switching on to Chris Tapp's Porzingis. Now he's seven foot three with a small guy on him. Now you've got to send a double team to him. Chris Tapps passes out of the double team. And it isn't that immediate pass, but it's the second pass that the Blazers get caught on. Just kind of defensive rotation stuff. Basic basketball from that offense are going to always try to take advantage of. But the numbers, I promised you. According to NBA.com's tracking data, the Blazers have given up 17 and a half wide open threes a game. Now that sounds like a gigantic number, guys. That sounds like a terrifying number of wide open threes to give up. And wide open by NBA tracking data's number is six feet or more open. Uh, I think doing the six feet number is better. They, they break it down more granular, like four to six feet and tightly guarded within like two feet. Um, but I, I think that four to six feet kind of, uh, that can get a little dicey just with the way the tracking data works. So I, I like to look at just straight up the six plus feet of space between the shooter and the closest defender because those are truly, truly open threes. But 17 and a half, this is all, but they only have the tracking data through the first two games. I'll dive in deeper uh, when the recording schedule allows me to wait for the tracking data to catch up. But that was just through the first two games. That was just Denver and Sacramento, about 17 and a half open attempts a night. I imagine that number will come down slightly against the Mavericks. Maybe not a ton, but the Mavericks did take 53, so it might go up. But in any case, I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be much different than that 17 and a half a game where they're giving up basically 18 unguarded threes a night. That is not the worst mark in the league. That actually puts the Blazers kind of at the middle of the road, about 11th in the league and wide open threes given up a night. It feels worse than that when you're watching. It feels much worse. But according to the tracking data early, it's not as bad as you would think. Traditionally, the Blazers have been good at limiting three-point attempts. Uh, I think we'll have to recalibrate what that means this year because so many teams are going to be shooting like the Mavs did, you know, 53s a night, 38, 43s a night will become fairly normal for teams. So what is limiting, what limiting the number of attempts will have to be based on a relative scale and not sort of historically season over season for the Blazers. The other numbers I want to give you for the Blazers defense is right now, three games in, According to NBA.com, they are 18th in defensive rating, giving up 106.9 points per 100 possessions. I kind of think this is where they end up, guys. Like, 18th. Slightly below average defense. I think this roster is going to produce a slightly below average defense. And even if they really lock in, we're talking about an average defense. They just don't have a ton of lockdown defenders. Losing Zach Collins hurts. He helps a lot of what they do on defense. He's a good help defender. He's a better sort of perimeter big in terms of defending on the perimeter than Hassan Whiteside is. He's more natural guarding away from the rim than Whiteside is. He's just, he has great defensive instincts for, for a young big man. But I think through the first three games, my sort of big takeaway anecdotally just from watching them is that this team looks worse on defense than they did a year ago. I don't know what that they have solutions. I think 
Uh, Kent Bazemore has been really good in terms of just energy and flying around out there. But he's only six foot five. He can't really guard fours. A lot of the Blazers' trouble have been guarding uh, pick and rolls where they don't put Bazemore in there and guys guys pick and pop or they switch and get a big guy on, a, on one of the smaller guards. But outside of Bazemore and Collins, who's had his moments, but hasn't been an elite defender by any means. I don't mean to pump him up. I think he's been better than Whiteside, but he hasn't been he hasn't been next level or anything like that. But outside of those two guys, there just hasn't been people who are making a lot of a ton of defensive plays. Whiteside has had some blocks, but I don't think he's played great defense yet. Even if he guarded Jokic okay early in the game, he gave up the biggest shots of the night and got yanked out of the game like immediately by Terry Stott. So I I don't think he's had a great defensive start these first three games. But the numbers suggest, and the numbers don't mean this. We just don't have a big enough sample size to like really take away from the numbers. But when when I look at them, I expected the Blazers to be much further down the list. And I kind of think this is who they are. I kind of think we're st- even right away. We're starting to see their identity. It's a below average defensive team and one of the ten best offensive teams in of the league. This is where they're going to be. So it's about getting improving slightly on what we've seen. Cleaning up the open three point attempts can help a little bit. But this might be who we got. Dame and CJ were terrific. Dame basically won the game by himself late against Sacramento. CJ McCollum kept the Blazers in with a monster first half against Dallas. Dame delivered a huge second half, 26 of his 28 in the second half, 20 points in the third quarter alone. That's who this team is. They're two dynamic guards who can go score and win you a game on offense and a below-average defensive team. Losing Zach Collins means they're probably going to get worse on defense. But the Blazers won these last two games by closing teams out down the stretch. And they've done it with different looks. So what I want to talk about in the third segment is who plays at the end. Who's going to be on the court at crunch time? I got some ideas. And I think Terry Stotts has already shown us what his ideas are. So we'll talk about both in the third segment. All right, still locked on Blazers, still a pass first point guard, still Mike Richmond. Blazers defense looks not great, but believably not great. Losing Zach Collins hurts. And one of the reasons losing Zach Collins hurts, as I discussed in the first segment, is because he's been on the court for the closeout of the two games he was healthy for. He played the final three minutes against Denver when the Blazers needed someone who was a little more comfortable defending Nikola Jokic on the perimeter. And against the Kings, Hassan Whiteside had a monster first three quarters and then didn't play down the stretch. Terry Stotts just rolled with the smaller group. Zach Collins was playing well. The Kings didn't have a traditional center in the game, mostly playing Bielitsa at center. So was Collins on the court. And was Collins on the court with a smaller group. It's clear Stotts is comfortable with four guys. Dame, CJ, Kent Bazemore, and Rodney Hood. I think the fifth guy down the stretch would have honestly been Collins. Hassan Whiteside wasn't bad. He didn't have a great offensive night against uh, Dallas, but he wasn't terrible in this game. I thought he was worse against the Kings uh, defensively, even though he had a really nice offensive night, than he was against Dallas. 
But I think Stotts would have preferred to play those five guys. I have said, uh, dating back to early in the offseason, that I thought that Rodney Hood playing power forward might be the Blazers' crunch time lineup. And I said that because Stotts has not been afraid to go small at the end of games, also because I think Whiteside's size allows them to feel more comfortable going small. His rebounding ability makes them feel comfortable going small. But Stotts has shown that those four guys, Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, and Kent Bazemore, are going to be part of his closing lineup. It's hard to argue with that. Those are probably your four best offensive players. It's hard for me to see the Blazers closing out games where Bazemore isn't on the floor just for what he brings defensively and the way he's played early in this season. Hard for you to make a case that someone else as a small ball four is a better option than Rodney Hood. Tolliver's been bad. Mario Hazonia just isn't nearly as good as Rodney Hood. But now without Collins, it presents an interesting question. Hassan Whiteside would have closed out the game against the Mavericks, but he fouled out. That's not necessarily his his problem. He could clean up some uh, some of his screens so he doesn't pick up cheap offensive fouls early in the game, maybe save himself a little bit. But most of his fouls were just defending the rim, being aggressive. The one he fouled out on, he challenged Porzingis right at the basket. Crucial play. Porzingis ended up splitting the free throws in a game that won by two. So maybe uh, anecdotally a good foul. But when Whiteside did foul out, Stotts, who had played Scalabus here a little bit at the end of the, or at the, in the beginning of the fourth quarter, who had given Tolliver a very short run early in the game, didn't turn over to either of those sort of natural big guys who could have played nominal five. Instead, he turned, the, turned it over to Hazonia. Now, Hazonia hasn't been awesome in any of these three games, but he has a skill set that no one else on the team has, and he's pretty big at 6'8", 220. He's more power forward than small forward, size-wise. So, well, I think, if healthy, Collins is your crunch time center. I think it has to be Whiteside. And that means that he has to do, he has to address some of the things he's not great at. One of the things he's not great at right now is just coming out of, coming out of the paint. He's got to step up a little more on pick and roll stuff. The Blazers want their big guys to drop back, but they don't want their big guys to stay all the way back. It's more like uh, playing center field. You keep everything in front of you and then attack out of that position. So you, so you actually challenge jump shots. Whiteside isn't super comfortable with that last part, running out to the perimeter, clo- having a tough closeout to a guy on a perimeter. Guarding Kristaps Porzingis is hard. I don't want to bang on him too much for that. Kristaps had a couple shots early in this game that were just like, well, if you're going to make that step back, congratulations. He finished with 30. He was great. But the Blazers don't have a ton of options that aren't Hassan Whiteside at this point. Collins was their only option. And without Collins, I think it just has to be Hassan. He has to figure out how to clean up some of his issues. He has to be more aggressive and be big contesting jump shooters. He's got a sprint and transition defense. 
And he's got to be in shape to play 30 plus minutes. I think against Denver, some of it was he just looked really tired at the end of the game. Maybe that is some beginning of the season, first NBA game in a long time, wind. But if Collins misses anything more than a couple games, if this he's out for a significant amount of time, they need Whiteside to be able to play 33 plus minutes. Four of the crunch time group is established. Stotts has shown us that he's not afraid to go small in those crunch time spots, although the way Tolliver has played, the small pretty much means Hazonia. Scal isn't a good option. All of the things that Hassan Whiteside is bad at, Scal is also bad at defensively, and probably worse. And he's not as good of a rebounder or is just as long or as strong. Whiteside's the option. He has to be able to play real crunch time minutes for this team. I think that's a big test. I think we've learned some things about this team a little bit. But I've said this a million times, and I'm sure I'll say it again if you keep listening to the podcast. Who plays and when is pretty much all a coach really does when the game starts. You know, they call a handful of plays, but a lot of coaching that you do happens before that. So what you do on game days is decide which combination of dudes play. So which combination dudes play at the end when the game is on the line in the final three or five minutes? That matters. Blazers have four guys who they really trust. They're running out of options for the fifth guy. I think we all know who it has to be. See if it works. Blazers played the Spurs on Monday evening. I'll have a podcast after that one. We'll do a mailbag too. I'm going to ask for questions. So if you're listening to this and you don't see me tweet out the questions, just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich. Ask me your question. I'll answer it right here on the podcast that posts on Tuesday morning. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. The NBA season is here. Things are happening. And I am recording podcasts talking about them. They can find Lockdown Blazers wherever they already get podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. I appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.